It's the simple joys. A $20 mask. This video almost broke the internet. And it was amazing. She was on GMA. How many people were emailing her, those in depression. Um, this one mother who has an autistic daughter. And she said this daughter hadn't smiled or said anything in two months. And when this daughter saw this video, she just began to laugh. And it made the mother have hope again. And I thought, wow, God will use anything. But I thought about the scripture, laughter is good medicine to the bone. And I said, the Lord even uses laughter. And this simple joy that you would have thought, you know, this was just supposed to be for her family. She didn't know that they were going to send it out like that and hit the masses, but it did. What is the simple joy in your life? In the midst of all of the things we have to do, pay the bills, go to work, deal with tra traffic on 495, 95, 66. <laughs> exactly, that's not joy. <laughs> but what is it that makes you pause for a moment and just enjoy the moment? I hope you just allow that to sink in for a moment because it truly is the simple joys. God delights in blessing his children. And so those simple blessings, she just wanted it for herself. And in doing that, she took that moment and she drank it in. And so as we talk tonight about joy, um, <clears throat> but not just a joy that we think of in the world, but a scriptural joy. And it's so important to understand that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Because we're going to go through many things in life and we're going to need strength. Can I get a witness? But it's the joy of the Lord that is our strength. And sometimes I just have these moments at my house where um, I'm just chuckling and my kids are like, what are you laughing about? But it's just a thought or something that the Lord brings to mind that makes me pause and just drink it in for a moment. And I hope you don't miss those moments in the midst of trying to live your 24 that you miss all of the roses and the joys that God has along the journey because we're so quick to get to the destination. And so tonight I want to talk about what brings the community joy. Um, tonight we're going to talk about awakening the watchman. And we're going to come from Nehemiah 1. So if you turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah 1, we're going to focus on verse 4, but I'm going to read 1 through 4. Um, but before I do that, I wanted to read 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 4. And it reads, first of all, then, I urge that intercession and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of our God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. Father, bless your word and our hearing as we study. Um, as Pastor Jim has been doing a sermon series on prayer, as well as Pastor Brett, intercession is close to my heart. Um, the Lord started birthing prayer in me about 2003, and it's been amazing the things he has shown me about himself as I pray. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to go to Nehemiah because I believe in this hour, God is calling not just a few faithful to come and pray, 
but he's calling the church body, the body of Christ, to pray and intercede for our community. It's not just enough to pray for our own, the four walls and no more. But God is calling a people to stand up and begin to intercede for men and women that don't know him. The scripture I just read says it's not God's will that any perish, but that all come into the knowledge of his saving grace. So I want to look at Nehemiah 1, 1 through 4. And it says, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakali, it came to pass in the month of Chalev, the 12th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hananah, one of many brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the captivity concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who were left from the captivity in the providence are great in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Here Nehemiah is, has a good government job. He's working for the king. He's a cupbearer. There's waves of exiles now going back into Jerusalem. Now, the history of this is God told Israel, when I take you out of the, this bondage, out of Egypt, into the land of milk and honey, don't forget me. And basically, if you do forget me, this is what's going to happen. Jerusalem will be desolated and you will be taken into captivity. It reminds me of old school parenting. If you don't stop, I'm going to come do this to you. So it's not like you don't know what's going to happen if you don't obey. So here God is telling him, look, I'm taking you out. I'm planting you in a good place, but don't forget me. And we know the story. What did Israel do? They do good for a moment, and then they slid right back into sin, idolatry and rebellion. So sure enough, their enemies come and start taking them captive. Daniel and the three Hebrew boys were one of the first to be, um, take, be taken captive. So now here it is. Exactly what God said was going to happen has happened. Now, the, the date of release in Jeremiah prophesied it. Look, this is going to happen if you don't listen to God. Fast forward, here the end of exile is, and then the exiles begin, or captivity, excuse me. So the exiles start going back into Jerusalem. So we have one wave of exiles with Zerubbabel, then another one with Ezra, and then now we hear the report that was given to Nehemiah. Nehemiah hears how his homeland is doing, and he begins to mourn, fast, and weep for days. What do we do when we hear about desolation in the kingdom of God, in the body of Christ? Does it affect us to the point where we begin to mourn, fast, and pray? When you hear things in our community that are devastating, how does it affect you? If we're not careful, we'll get like the world and say, that's a shame. But we can get so numb to hearing that there's a murder every day. After a while, it doesn't affect us to move and do something about it. It's just, that's a shame. But here, Nehemiah feels the burden of the Lord on his heart and knows he has to do something. So he goes to work. Now, when you're working for the king, you're supposed to be right and tight. You, you go in there and create the right atmosphere. So here, Nehemiah's face is downcast. And the king basically says, what is wrong with you? Everything all right? And Nehemiah begins to tell the king, well, no, my father's homeland is desolate. 
and I need to go back and do something about it. So then he begins to entreat the king and have a conversation. And long story short, God gives Nehemiah favor. And not only does the king let him go a certain amount of time, he gives him a letter so he doesn't have to deal with the enemies on the way and resources to build the wall. Everybody say favor. See, when God wants you to do something, his provision is already gone before you. So here Nehemiah is basically having favor. I'm going on a three-month vacation. You're going to pay for it, Nehemiah, um, king. And also, I'm going to need a little lumber, some nails, some hammers. And the king takes care of all of it. Fast forward, we get to the place. We get to the place of where the wall is broken down. Now, Nehemiah and his wisdom didn't go tell everybody, okay, I'm here. We're going to take care of this wall. We got a building permit. I went down to the county. All is good. We have the lumber over here. The pu- he went at night and he surveyed the wall to see what was going on. He didn't want anybody to know what he was doing. And then once he surveyed the wall and saw what needed to be done, that's when he began to assemble people to begin to build this wall. So in the midst of it, here Nehemiah is not even part of this community right now and has the burden to build, rebuild this wall. This is what intercession looks like. And what I love about Nehemiah is he prayed the whole time to build this wall. Now, when, by the time Nehemiah had gotten there into Jerusalem, the other waves of the Jews that were there had been there 90 years And nobody thought to rebuild this wall. Nobody took the time to take on the burden of God to rebuild this wall. Now, what's amazing in the building of the wall is you think, well, what's so big about walls? Well, back there, walls were important because it represented the prosperity and the protection of the city. And so if there were no walls, that means the enemy can come in anytime he wanted to. I believe Proverbs 25 says a man that does not have rule over his own soul is like a city with broken down walls. That means the enemy can come in and out of your life anytime he wants to. What is the walls around your life? I pray it's the joy of the Lord because that is your strength. And so as Nehemiah saw this, he began to assemble the people and they began to build. Now I want to talk to you about three points tonight. The problem, the promise, and the prayer. Now, anytime you go to build anything for the Lord, there's going to be a problem. Nehemiah encountered two of them. One was internal and one was external. The internal one was by the time he had got to Jerusalem, some of the Jews were real prosperous. And they had gotten to a place where greed had set in. And so they were oppressing the other Jews that were there and using them as basically slaves. So now Nehemiah has to come in and confront them and say, your wealth is not to be used like this. Your wealth is to build the kingdom of God. So he had to deal with the internal things that were going on with the people. Similar to to what we have to deal with in the body of Christ. Anytime we're going to build, we're going to have to deal with an internal war. Where is our motivation and why are we here? Are we here to do things on our own? Are we here to gather our gifts together to push and advance the kingdom of God? So Nehemiah had to deal with that. And then the external problem was Sambalat, Tobiah, and all the other ites that did not want that wall built. You know the ites that speak in your ear the moment you wake up. You're nothing. You can't do anything. Am I the only one? 
So you have to deal with those ites and their voice on the daily basis. So Nehemiah had to deal with an external problem and an internal problem. But he did it through prayer. David and um, Pastor Robin and David, you can come up a moment. I want to show you a picture of intercession. Because as we talk about this intercession that Nehemiah did, I want you to have this picture in mind. You can come up on stage. Thank you. It is so important to know how to intercede. And intercession is literally picking up the burden of God. Matthew 11 says, take on my yoke, it's e- my, my yoke that is easy, my burden that is light. So we have God and the problem here. Who do you want to be? God. Okay. <laughs> so that would mean I'm the problem. you're the problem. <laughs> so we have a situation going on. So what it looks like to intercede is that you literally step in between. That's the first part of intercede. The first part inter means to come between and among. So when I pick up a burden from heaven, I step between God and the problem, and I'm among them. Then the go, the the seed part of that word, is to literally mean go or to produce. So what I do is I turn to God and I get his heart about the issue. So I begin to communicate and pray and seek God about it. And he gives me his burden. Then I turn and go and I see God's word into the problem. Do I have any gardeners in the house? Now, when you plant the seed, I don't think you just go and throw it on the soil. You go and you what? You dig up some soil. So when you begin to pray, it begins to cultivate the soil. So you're releasing your faith to whatever the situation is. And what it begins to do in the spirit realm is start to move the soil. Then you pray God's word. So you're seeding it in. And then guess what you get to do? Back up. Because God said, my word does not come back void. But it goes forth accomplishing its purposes. Thank you, gentlemen. So those that plant will tell you, you don't see a manifestation right away. So you can go out there every day and just look at the dirt and be like, oh, Lord, did it work? Are you hearing me? I prayed yesterday. I don't see any. A gardener would say, take your time, water it, and let the sun hit it. Watering it means you begin to get up every day and say, Lord, I thank you for hearing me. I thank you that your will be done. I thank you that your kingdom has hit this situation. That's what it looks like to intercede. So on Friday nights, we come together, and that's what we do. So when you see us praying in the spirit, we're not just doing that because we don't know what to say. We are moving ourselves out the way, and we are picking up the burden of God that's light. So we don't have to walk around, oh, I'm praying, and I'm lifting up the body of Christ. No, God said, my burden is light. So we get to cast the burden instead of carrying it because it's God's heart. And he will produce what he wants to produce on this earth. So we get the privilege to co-labor with him so we get to know him better and see how he operates. So God's will will be done and he wants us to operate with him. So intercession is picking up the burden of God and seeding it in to whatever the situation is. This is what Nehemiah did. So again, I talked about the problem, internal and external. And he dealt with those, and I'll show you how he dealt with those in a moment. Now we have the promise. 
Zechariah and Daniel both prophesied that this wall would be rebuilt. That is hope. Everybody say hope. So God is not saying not only did you disobey, your judgment is forever. God was telling them there's an expiration date and you need to do right when your expiration date is up of punishment. There's a release date. So now here the release to go back into the land and the Lord prophesied the wall would be rebuilt. And then Nehemiah hears the burden falls on him. And here he stands now declaring and doing what it was prophesied by the prophets that this wall would be rebuilt. I want to let you know there's things that you're stepping into that you can't even see yet that have already been prophesied by the Lord that it is well. That it is coming to pass. And God is putting burdens on people's heart to pray for the release of what he's promised in this generation. Especially our Jubilee. Pastor Jim prophesied about Jubilee in January. By that next weekend, it felt like everything had broke loose. And I said, oh yeah, the prophetic word is true. Because the enemy's trying to trick us to make us think, oh, that's not right. But what did Paul say to Timothy? Timothy, concerning these prophecies spoken over you, fight the good warfare with faith and a good conscience. What was Paul teaching Timothy? The moment the word comes about, you won't have to fight, Timothy. You are going to have to war through to get to this word. But he said, fight the good fight of faith. And what that good fight of faith looks like is faith and a good conscience. And so in the midst of it, here we have Nehemiah remembering the promises of the Lord, and he speaks to God in prayer. So we're going to unpack Nehemiah's prayer to the, the completion of this wall so you can see how he interceded on behalf of rebuilding this wall. Nehemiah 8, 9 says, Remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you were unfaithful, I will scatter you among the people. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though those of you who had been scattered were in the remotest parts of heaven, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. So not only did he say, I'm going to bring you back from being scattered. I'm going to bring you to a place where, where my name can dwell. That's why we're here. That's why we build not just naturally, but spiritually. So God's name can dwell. Dwell means to live and stay fixed. How many of you want God's presence to live and stay fixed in your life? So we need to be a people whose mindset is we are going to obey God so that his name and his presence can live and dwell with us. So let's look at the prayers. I want to look at six different points that Nehemiah did as he prayed to rebuild this wall. First, it was reverence. They're all ours. So if you're taking notes, they're all ours. The first one was reverence. In verses five and six, he says, I said, I beseech you, O Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who perseveres um, with the covenant and of loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant which I am praying before you now day and night on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants. So before he even puts hammer to board, he begins to remember who God is. 
He reverences the Father. He worships. Now, we can teach you how to praise, but we can't teach you how to worship. Praise is about what something someone did. We watch sports, or I should say my husband watches sports, and I watch everything else. But I sit there with him, <laughs> and I can praise the players, but I have no clue who they are. But I'm like, that's a good catch. And I learned in the man cave, you're not supposed to talk. So I've learned to mumble. That was a really good catch. (laughs) But I don't know that person from Adam. I just am praising them for the work they did. But worship is praising the person for who they are. So we can teach you how to praise on what God has done. But worship is between you and God. What do you know of him? Many of you have heard this story, and it was one of those stories that marked part of my understanding of who my daddy is. Um, My son Isaiah, when he was younger, he was about four. He had gotten into this stage that his daddy could fix everything. And because he got into that stage, the Lord would let my husband fix anything. I don't care what it was. It would break. My husband would come home and fix it. I'd even look at him and be like, no, don't touch it. My daddy fix it. I said, okay. So one particular night, the lights went out in our neighborhood, and we have no light, street lights. So when it's, the lights are out, the lights are out. And at this time, he was afraid of the dark. So he began to cry for his daddy. And me being the, the good wife that I am, trying to hook my husband up, because I saw the enemy trying to set my husband up, I was trying to explain to my four-year-old that this daddy can't fix this problem. This is a Novak problem. See, Novak is the electric company. And I'm trying to explain to this little four-year-old, I know daddy's fixed everything in the past, but this one right here, he can't do this. So he didn't want to hear it. He was convinced that his daddy was going to fix those lights. So this went on for about an hour. He whined, he cried. So I said, okay. Now, in the midst of it, I'm trying to find the batteries and the flashlight. Why is it that you realize you don't know where the light or the batteries are? Until it goes dark. That'll preach all by itself. When it gets dark, you better know where the light is. So because I couldn't find the flashlight, I decided to bring everybody in the room. We're going to have these campfire stories, and it's just going to be a great little time for us. He was good for about 10 minutes, and then he began to cry again. I want my daddy. So I said, okay, okay. Now, I'm, I'm tired of this. Little boy, your daddy can't fix those lights. <laughs> You're going to be quiet. <laughs> All of a sudden, I hear the key turn in the door, and I was like, thank you, Jesus, reinforcements. My husband's home. He'll be able to deal with this little boy and explain to him he cannot fix these lights. So my husband comes in the door, and he walks up the steps, and what happens? The lights come on. <laughs> and my little four-year-old with his little confident self took his little pointer finger, and he said, I told you my daddy going to fix those lights. What was I going to say? But you know, in that moment after it was all over, the Lord began to touch my heart. Do I believe my daddy can fix anything? No matter what the voices tell me in my head, your God can't fix this. Do I believe like that little boy's faith that my daddy can fix anything? Nehemiah knew who his God was. And although this project was immense, he knew, God, I remember who you are. So I'm reverencing you in this moment, setting myself in remembrance, and that's how we're going to start. That's what intercession is all about. 
So when you come to prayer on Friday night, you'll find us praising first, worshiping first, because we're reminding all of ourselves that we can't do what we're asking. Only God can do it. So the first part of intercession needs to be worship and reverence. And then the second part of intercession is repentance. This is what he said in 6b and 7. Confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you. And my father's health has sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept your commandments, nor your statutes, nor your ordinances, which you commanded your servant Moses. Many times things are happening in our life and we're, we're quick to rebuke the enemy. I will invite you to pause and ask God, as the scripture said, from whence did this come? Is this something I planted, Lord, or is this an attack? Nehemiah remembered what the Lord told his forefathers, which means that word had to keep trickling down from generation to generation. Parents, are we teaching our children the word of God so much so that they can recount like Nehemiah what God told generations beforehand? So Nehemiah knew, wait a minute, this is our fault. We did not listen. We got back into idolatry and rebellion. So not only did he repent for himself and his generation, he repented for his forefathers. We have all sinned against you. I would invite you, if this is not part of your prayer, to make it part. When I pray for the nation, I don't say, Lord, you know, forgive them. Now, I'm not in the White House. I'm not in the Senate. I'm not making these laws, but I'm part of this nation. So when I intercede for the nation, I said, Lord, forgive us. We have sinned against you. Judgment demands payment. And I'm so glad that Jesus paid the payment. There's no way we could have paid that payment. So it's not that judgment doesn't need payment. It's just that it's not coming out of our pocket. We get to step into the courtrooms of God. And instead of having to plead guilty, we get to plead the blood of Jesus and ask God, for his, his intervention in our nation. So I'm constantly interceding. I don't know what went on today, but I tell you tonight, I'll be in my prayer closet repenting and asking God for revival and an awakening so that we can come to a place of truly being one nation under God. Repentance is key in intercession. And then the third R is remembrance. Verses 10, or excuse me, verse 10. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Now, it's not that God forgotten who they are, but he was bringing into remembrance the goodness of God. That, Lord, we belong to you. We might be thoroughly jacked up, <laughs> but we belong to you, Lord. So we have to remember that we have an inheritance in God. And although we're disobedient, it does not make us not his children. When I used to work in the corporate realm and um, the Lord would use me to minister to some of my coworkers, it would be interesting when they would come to me to talk about another coworker that said they were Christian. And when that person messed up, they would say to me, and they said they were a Christian. And I thought, to, well, why are they not a Christian? Because they made a mistake? Yes. So that tells you the mindset of the world is that Christians are perfect. And I said, no, we're perfected. There's a difference. God matures us in himself. All of us have parents, and I'm sure all of us that were disobedient one part in our life that did not make us not their child, made us disobedient children. 
So what we have to do is remember, Lord, we belong to you, which means there's a responsibility here we have to represent you as your children. And that's what Nehemiah brought into remembrance. And then the fourth R is reliance on God. A lot of times we think we're relying on God till we get to the moment and realize we've been relying on self. Verse 9, for all of them are trying to frighten us thinking they will become discouraged with the work and it will not be done. But now, oh God, strengthen my hands. Why was he praying this prayer in this moment? Because Sambalat, Tobiah, and all the other ites had gotten angry because of the building. The enemy is not going to sit back and have a cup of tea while you're building the kingdom of God. Expect opposition. That's why God give you your, has given you your armor, Ephesians 6. Not so we look good, so we're prepared to fight. And here the enemies had come up against them and thought, okay, if we frighten them, they'll stop. Every tactic the enemy was using, it wasn't working. So now other allies are coming together. They might not like each other, but they don't like you more. So they're going to come together to fight against you. That's what was going on. And they tried to get Nehemiah off this wall a good four or five times, and he would not come down. This was his prayer in response to opposition. Lord, you deal with them and strengthen our hands. I want to invite you not to tangle with your enemy. Just ask the Lord to deal with them. And Lord, you strengthen my hands for the work. Because in the midst of this warfare, many of the people had started to get discouraged. They didn't want to build anymore. They wanted to just go home with their toys and say, I'm done. Have you ever gotten there? Every last bit of joy is gone. You can't find it. There's no Toys R Us to go get your Chewbacca mask and have a moment. But we want to ask God to strengthen us in those moments. It's not a time to retreat. It's a time to rely on God. And so in the midst of opposition, we want to make sure we're relying on God and not ourselves. Because if we rely on ourselves, we're going to run. We're going to flee. But if we rely on God, we're going to fight the right way. And just a sidebar, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Don't take it personal. It's spiritual. And when you keep it in the spirit realm, you keep it on the right battlefield. When I was growing up, I had shared, I um, lived a few miles from Muhammad Ali's camp. So we used to hang out there. But being a little girl, I didn't realize who he was. I just thought he was a boxer. And in the midst of it, we got to go and, and watch him train. And I remember his coach would be on the side and he would be yelling out these commands to Muhammad Ali, and he never stopped fighting. He would just adjust to what his trainer was telling him to do. And many, many years later, the Lord has used that visual picture for me because our trainer is the Holy Spirit. And he doesn't want us to stop. He just wants to adjust us. So we need to hear his voice and rely on him so that we can keep adjusting and doing what he's called us to do because, how I many you know, he's already overcome the enemy. It's a fixed fight. Look at your neighbor say it's a fixed fight. Now, in the ring, there's rules. You can't hit the boxer certain places. You can't do certain things. That's why Mike Tyson got in trouble when he bit the man's ear. That's a no-no. But when you take it to the street, there are no rules. You could bite the ear, kick the foot, do what you want. So the enemy wants to get you in a street fight. He wants to put you on his battlefield. But I encourage you, when you wrestle against flesh and blood, that's exactly where you're going. You're taking it to the street and you're in trouble. But when you keep it in the spiritual realm, there's rules. 
And those rules say Satan is a fixed fight. Jesus is already overcome. So we are overcomers. So rely on the Lord and ask him when you get weak and discouraged to strengthen your hands. The next R is reflection on our motivations. Do you realize it took 52 days? That's it. 52 days to build this wall. God accelerated their work. And I really believe it was because of the intercession that was going on from the very beginning. And so this is what Nehemiah says. Remember me, O God, for good according to all that I have done for this people. I love this because one, he's not telling men to remember him. He's asking God to remember him. Right motivation. That I didn't do this for anybody but you, Lord. Remember me. And he did it for the people because remember, he has to go back to Susa. He's not staying there. He asked for a leave of absence on his job. So once this wall is done, he's going back to his job and his house. What are you willing to build that really doesn't benefit you at the time? Because that's exactly what he did. He could have stayed in Susa and told them, look, y'all need to go back and build that wall. But what happened is he picked up the burden of God. He heard the burden in his heart and he moved on it. He, it was go time. And he was able to build this wall in 52 days. So not only was a natural wall built, this is what I love. A spiritual wall was built as well. Because Ezra begins to read the word of God again to the nation. And the people listened. They recognized their sins. They repented. And they took steps to remove the sin. That's called transformation. Amen? So not only did Nehemiah deal with the natural things, he dealt with the spiritual. He went back and did what God told them to do in the first place, and so did Israel. So as we stand to our feet, I want to invite you to let go of the burdens that you may be carrying that God didn't give you. They're heavy. They're impossible to do on your own. And I believe in this hour, God is calling the body of Christ to intercede. As you saw the picture, to step between and among, to communicate with our God and get the burden that's on his heart and go and seed it into the situation in which God has for us. If that's you, I want you to, as we sing this song, release, release what God wants you to release. Release those burdens and pick up his Take on my yoke that's easy and my burden that's light. We invite you to come out every Friday night. We pray right across the hall in the classroom, 715. And what do we do in there? We reverence God. We repent for our sins. We remember who we are in him. We rely on him. Lord, this is your burden. And we believe for revival, not just in our community, but in this nation. Can you stand and pick up that burden with us? Amen. Lord, we thank you so much for the gift of intercession and the example of Nehemiah's prayer. Lord, all throughout this time, he prayed. So we thank you that you are awakening the watchmen in the body of Christ to stand between and among and to seed your word into our community. And we thank you for doing what you promised you would do revive, restore, and redeem. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you, family. As you go, I want you to hear this song. Hallelujah. You are the watchman. You are called to intercede. Have a great night.